It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the first ever and maybe only ever from Rico Bronia. I am sitting on a deck in North Carolina with the ocean breeze blowing in my beautiful long red hair. Uh, it's funny. I'll tell you exactly what I drank, and I promise you, this is not like some kind of sponsorship deal. Right? I'm not getting paid for it by any stretch. I'm just telling you. So right when I left on Friday or Thursday, whatever the hell my last day was, they gave me that Metallica whiskey that we've been promoting. You know that Metallica whiskey, Hoff? Are you familiar with it? The black whiskey. I almost drank yeah. it tonight. I saved it. I saved it. But yes, I know okay. what you're talking about. Yes. So the, the whole family, I mean, not my kids, obviously, but the whole family went with the blackened whiskey. We're like, let me see what this is all about. Very spicy. Very good. Very spicy. And then um, when we got here to North Carolina, we went to a convenience store. I said, I want some beer. And uh, I, I'm a big purple haze guy, a beta, but we couldn't find it. So I'm going to tell you exactly what I got. You ready for this? It's called Beer Hug Mixed Twelver. They've got Tropical Beer Hug, which is 9.9 alcohol by volume. That seems like a very big number. Is that 9.9 like I? That's, that's very high. I'm, I'm proud. How many did you have? Uh, I don't know. A couple of them. I mean, <laughs> uh, they got Tropical Beer Hug, the Neon Beer Hug, which is only 7% alcohol by volume. Bunch of wusses. Uh, the Hazy Beer Hug. And the Juicy Beer Hug. Apparently, I love me some beer hugs. <laughs> I li- I'm i not even kidding. I went into um, the convenience store and just looked for the fruitiest beers I could find. That that's that was my prerequisite. Just get me really fruity beers and let me bring it home. And that's exactly what I did. I'm surprised you didn't go for like the hard seltzers. Yeah, it just doesn't do it for me. I I, listen, I'm not... How do I say this? I'm not exactly like an experienced drinker. I just don't drink that much. I don't really get a chance. We got two kids running around. So when we get on vacation, you know, we're able to get a little loose. If you know what I mean. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. You look you look very loose right now, which is good. I, I would like to share with you what I'm drinking. It's called yeah, what are you drinking? I, I also went the whiskey route. It's called Puncher's Chance. It's actually, uh-huh. I believe, Bruce Buffer. Uh, the guy, the ring announcer who does the uh, the MMA fights for UFC, I think this is his version of, of a whiskey. It's amazing. I think I've had a half a bottle so far. I didn't plan on doing that, but it's it's been pretty good. Look, at you. basically the reviews on Pete are that he makes really good met points when he's drunk, that he actually makes more sense than when he's sober. People are happy. So uh, my – this vacation started with us going to Baltimore. So I was there Friday night for the David Peterson game where the Mets lost 10-3. to It was just a – I mean, look, the last week has been a shit show. I think we all understand that. I think we all realize that the losing is coming fast and furious, and we're all probably better off for it, you know, based on the whole pick situation that we talked about in the last Rico that, hey, if they're in the bottom six, their pick stays where it is. If they're not in the bottom six – because they spent so much money to pick moves back 10 slots. The Mets are really in this, we're just going to lose every single day mode. And it's funny, it, it, you go back to when the deadline occurred on Tuesday. So they make the, the Verlander trade. 
they dump Tommy Pham, they dump Dominic Leon, you know, they make all the dumpings. And I'm even still at that point thinking to myself, you know what, they'll win a few games in Kansas City. Because even though you take Verlander away from the rotation, the lineup is, you know, pretty much the same. You know, you're taking away the left field spot of Canna Pham, but for the most part, they shouldn't just collapse. And after Alvarez hit the two-run home run on trade deadline night, and they had that 6-4 to four lead in Kansas City. If you think about what's happened since then, they give up the three runs in the bottom of the 10th. They then get completely destroyed in Game 2 and Game 3. You look at what happened in Baltimore. They got outscored 16-2 to two since the Alvarez home run in Kansas City. They got outscored 19-6 to six in Baltimore. So let's do the math. That is 30. 35 to 7 since Alvarez hit the home run in Kansas City. I mean, this has been look, we know they're bad. We know they're better off being bad, but this is just constant shit over and over again. And it's like you're watching the same game. You're watching, they make bad defensive plays every single day. They can't get a big hit. Their pitching blows. And I, like, I don't want it to portray like I'm really annoyed. Because I got to tell you, I've been numb the last few days. Like even Friday night in Baltimore, I was all, all I was thinking about was the fireworks. That's all I was thinking about was firework night. And my oldest son was like, "Let's see them fireworks." So I sat through the ten to three ass whooping, and I've been numb over the last three. I think all of us have. I'm, not, I'm certainly not speaking out of tune here. I think all of us have just accepted this is really, really bad. And you start to say to yourself, "Well, what the hell's the point of watching?" Now, what what are we watching for? And the truth is, we're watching to see how they will lose. And we're also watching to see if there's any progress from the kids. And so far, there isn't. <laughs> Brett Beatty is just awful. Mark Vientos is terrible defensively. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't play every single day. Put them out there every day. I think we're looking for signs. We're looking for a pulse from Brett Beatty. We're looking for a pulse from Mark Vientos. Look at the finale against the Orioles. How about that defense? Vientos is trying to make a backhand play on a ground ball to third. Runners running on contact, knocks the ball down, calls him a run. Then you got Danny Mendick, who is confused on that double play ball. He has no idea what the hell he's doing. I admit, I'm watching this game by a pool where I'm not, I wouldn't say I was drunk. I would say I was just having a good time. That's how I would phrase me watching the Met game. And I probably shouldn't have watched them that game. I mean, what, what am I doing? <laughs> Honestly, it's a it's a Sunday afternoon. I'm in North Carolina. Like, I'm by the pool. Why the hell did I even have the game on? But I did. I'm a glutton for punishment. I did not score it, though, Pete, which I know makes you very proud of me. I did not score the last two games while here in North Carolina. That is major progress, right? That That is a huge win. I, I don't know how we broke this code, but I'm happy we did. Thank you. Hey, last year when I was in North Carolina, I was scoring every damn game. Now, mainly, you know, we're in a pennant race, and I would kind of carve out the evening after everybody went to sleep and start the game on DVR. And the Mets were playing the Braves that week, I think, a year ago. You could check the archives of the Rico, but why would you? Like, you've got to be some kind of loser to say, I want to go listen to the Rico Bronia from August of 2022 and hear these morons talk about, hey, we're going to win the division. Hey, we're going on a run. Anyhow, Vientos, Beatty, Alvarez, 
to a degree, Senga when he pitches. That really is all there is to see. I mean, nobody wants to watch DJ Stewart. That's damn sure. No one wants to watch Daniel Vogelback. Even the star, even Lindor, who's had a, a nice season. We don't really get any satisfaction out of Francisco Lindor hitting the ball over the fence. I mean, honestly, like, what do we get out of that? So we could pad his numbers. Like Pete getting hot right now. If Alonso got hot, what the hell does that do? You know, Jeff McNeil salvages his crap season. What does that do? So it's really Beatty, Vientos, Alvarez, waiting on Mauricio, and Kodai Senga. Now, I got to make a point that I think we're all thinking. If you look at what's gone on in the National League over the last week, and it's been longer than a week, it's been going on for weeks. Right now, when you wake up on Monday morning, or Monday afternoon if you're hungover like me and Pete, the Chicago Cubs are a wild card team. Think about that. The Chicago Cubs are a wild card team because the Reds can't win a game. The Marlins are terrible. The Diamondbacks are terrible. So think about this. If the Mets in their last six games against the Royals and Orioles had won three of them, right? Three of them. They'd be four games out. So can I ask a, can I ask a dumb question? Can I ask a truly drunk question? Because it's probably not even a good question sober. Did we F up? It's like, it's like talking about the girlfriend that you dumped. Like, did we screw up? Should we have dumped her? Should we have slept with her a few more times? Like, should we have really traded all these guys away when the bottom of the National League is so garbage that it wasn't going to take a lot to possibly make the postseason? Yeah, I... I... I would have still traded. You want to know why? Because look at who we traded. We traded David Robertson, sure. That was a piece to the back end of the puzzle. We traded Verlander and Scherzer. Okay, but like Scherzer's been terrible at the biggest spot. So what does that really mean? Verlander was like the one consistent. Okay, fine. We didn't like Mark Kana and Tommy Pham really weren't amazing. Where we're like, oh, we're missing their bats. Maybe Tommy Pham at moments. But we weren't really missing anything. So this losing streak is like perfect. It was going to happen anyway. And I got to be honest, Ev, I'm all about the suck right now. Like, remember we were trying to suck for Sam and suck for all these guys back in the day with the Jets? I'm sucking for a top six pick with the, with the, Met, with the Mets in the, in, for next year's draft. Like, I'm all in. Like, I actually like that we're getting all of this bad baseball out of the way now. I don't like the fact that we see DJ Stewart, Stewart all the time doing it, but I don't mind. Like, hey, Tyler McGill – We've realized he's terrible. He's not part of the future. That's great. This is this is awesome. 2023 has proven a bunch of things. Who should not be on this team going forward? I mean, I I I, I mean, there's a part of me that agrees with you. They are better off losing. Like that part, I'm with you. I'm not sitting there enjoying the losing. Like I I wasn't sitting there by the pool Sunday afternoon saying, "Hey, let's not score any runs." Hey. Let's have Danny Mendick screw up a double play. Hey, let's have Mark Vientos not be able to get the guy out at home. So it's this weird juxtaposition. I used that word right. It's this weird juxtaposition where they are better off losing. There's no question. I'm with you on that. But I'm not enjoying it. And I'm certainly not sitting there watching. Here's the thing I push back on. I've always said, and this is just my view on it, that if you can get to the postseason, you throw everything out. And while Max Scherzer always came up small and big spots, and while the Mets gave us no reason to believe they were going to go on a run, if you're telling me 
the Mets were going to make the postseason because the bottom of the National League was bad, I'd sign for that 10 out of 10 times. I would, no matter how good the prospects back are, because when you're in the postseason, magic can happen. So there is a part of me having a little bit of regret. Now, I know that's stupid because even with the National League sucking, were the Mets going to win these games anyway? Which is probably the best retort to me having any regret. Not, hey, they'd get to the playoffs and lose anyway. I don't buy that. I don't agree with that. You get to the playoffs, anything can happen. And I want to be in the postseason, no matter what team I root for. So the best argument back at me would be, hey, even with the Reds sucking and the Diamondbacks collapsing and the Marlins being mediocre, even with the Cubs at four games over 500, that being good enough to be in a playoff spot, the best retort back at me is, hey, they were never going to go on this run. They were never going to get on a run good enough to get into the postseason anyway. But it is crazy, man. I mean, the bottom of the National League is atrocious. It just is. It's bad. And I am a little surprised. I am surprised that against Kansas City, especially, not as much the Orioles, they've had a great year, that this team has been as bad as they've been. Like, I, I didn't necessarily think after all these trades went down, the Mets would play like the worst team in baseball. And that's the way they look. I mean, I think most of us are starting to think, holy crap, they're going to lose 100 games. Holy crap. Are they going to win a few games? Now, they probably will. They probably will have some kind of hot streak. But in the immediate aftermath of all these trades, it has been worse than you could imagine. It, it really has. Yeah, but who are they beating? Like, Ev, the fact that we got swept to the Royals. After that, this like this June was terrible. It had seven wins. August might be worse. They're playing the Pirates and they're playing uh, like the Cardinals. Like there's like seven games against the Pirates and the Cardinals. Besides that, every other team is playoff bound. I don't see them winning any games. Yeah, but it's you know what? It's baseball. Like they'll they'll win a few games. They they have a ten game homestand coming up against the Cubs, against the Braves, against the Pirates. They'll accidentally win three or four of these games. Like accidentally. Now, are they going to finish in the bottom six? Probably. I mean, they're going to probably fall behind Washington, who've looked somewhat competent at times. Like, they'll fall behind Washington. They'll fall behind Pittsburgh. They may fall behind St. Louis. They'll fall behind Detroit. The only teams they won't fall behind will be Oakland, Kansas City, and probably Chicago. So you're looking at a team that could be picking fourth or fifth in the MLB draft. But it's just a reminder, you're never as bad as you are when you're bad. You're never as good as you are when you're good. Oh, I got a couple of thoughts about Oriole Park. So I used to go to Oriole Park at Camden Yards all the time. I lived down in Maryland for a few years. Love the stadium. I've always been a fan of the stadium, but I haven't been there in 10 years. Before going to the game on Friday night, I had not been in Oriole Park since 2013. I went to an Orioles Red Sox in 2013. In fact, I went to a doubleheader that day. Me, my dad, one of my uh, closest friends, we drove down to D.C. to see Mets Nationals in the afternoon. And then at night, went to Orioles, Red Sox, and then drove home. It was uh, an unbelievable night. I was so cool. Um, first time at Oriole Park in 10 years. They built a hotel, the Hilton Hotel, really in the shadow of the stadium. And when they built that about 12, 13 years ago, I always hated it because I thought it took away from the view. Like, if you're sitting behind home plate at Oriole Park and you look out in center field, there's this beautiful clock tower 
like it's Back to the Future. It kind of blocks the clock tower. So I was never a fan of this hotel they built right outside of Oreo Park. Well, I'm about to flip-flop because I stayed in the hotel. I sold out. I said, F this. I may not like the hotel, but I'm staying at the hotel. And oh my God, the greatest thing ever. That game ends. Firework night ends. It was like 35 feet from leaving Oreo Park, Utah Street, which is the area right in front of the warehouse, to walking into that hotel. Oh, my God, I love it. I I was so spoiled to have it be that close, especially with my son and my father-in-law. My youngest kid never came. My wife never came because they were like, you know what? Ah, We'll we'll come later. You know, the, the, the hotel was so close to the stadium. If we're up for it, if Spence has energy, we'll come in the fifth inning. They never came. Everybody fell asleep. So I <laughs> for first of all, uh, how how was the the pricing of of the stadium? Was it was it like good enough where it's like, you know, it's the Mets are in town. Is the ticket is it a, is it a hot ticket? It you know so Friday night really wasn't even though it was firework night. They had about thirty thousand people there. I bought tickets straight from the Orioles, and I sat behind home plate. Uh, last row of the field level, so like right under where the press box is. Um, it was it was like sixty bucks a ticket, like nothing crazy. By the way, by the way, I feel like such a schmuck. So I'm sitting in this last row field level. First batter of the game, Brandon Nimmo, hits a line drive right at me and my son. I'm not about to be kidding. You. It's coming right at me. I put my hands up. Scorebooks on my lap. Put my hands up to try to catch it or knock it down or just keep jet, you know, in one piece. And it skims over my hands. I, like, I feel it like skim over my hands into the press box. All of a sudden, everybody's looking back like, why would you catch it? Like, what the hell's wrong with you? And um, there's really no end to this story. I, was, I didn't catch a foul What did Jet say about daddy's hands? Uh, he was not impressed. Not you know, then Brandon Nimmo was going to foul ball every time he came up. Like, hey, let's be ready for the next foul ball. I said, listen, this only happens like once a game, once every five games. But I, I honestly, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, I put my hands up and it just went over me. Like, I wasn't, it's not like it went through my hands. It like just went slightly above me. I didn't jump. Why did you jump though? You're supposed to jump. Nah, I can't jump. Come on, I'm an old man. I'm sitting down on my – I didn't stand up, Pete. Like, I'm sitting in my seat. You didn't right. stand up? Doing right now. You didn't stand up? That's the most important thing. That's the e- you, if you stood up, you would have easily caught the ball. I either would have caught the ball or would have hit me in the noggin. One of <laughs> <laughs> Look, my reaction time was I got my book on my lap. I'm not throwing my book to the ground. Now, I'm obviously not ducking from the baseball. I want to make sure Jed is safe. But – I'll go for it, which I did, but I'm certainly not throwing my book down. I took a video. like I, It was the first batter of the game, so I put my tablet out because I thought it was such a great view behind the plate. So I took video of the first at-bat. So I actually have video, not of me, but of the ball coming straight back, and I feel really, really bad because I didn't realize at the time because I was so focused on the embarrassment of not catching the foul ball. But when I went back and watched the video – there was a guy who I guess recognized me and started screaming, hey, Evan, nice catch. Like he was mocking me a little bit, but being friendly. And I totally ignored him because I wasn't 
I didn't hear him. I didn't, I didn't notice it until I rewatched the video. So, <laughs> excuse me. If that guy's out there, I'm sorry. We have, to, we have to douche. We have to post a video. It's very important. When you when these okay. things happen, you post the videos. Let them I'm know. Video and then you post it or something. Or, man, no, I'll, yeah. I'll Somebody will post it. I don't freaking know. On one last question, just because I, last time I went to Baltimore, the one thing, and it was a long time ago, I checked out the aquarium, and that was my favorite part of Baltimore. Did you guys hit up the aquarium at all or no? It's amazing you asked that. So the aquarium is the reason that I'm convinced my youngest son, Spence, did not have the energy to go to the game, nor did my wife. We got to Baltimore at about noon. We went to that uh, seafood place, some famous seafood place that's right there. Great meal. Went to the aquarium. Had a, a tremendous time. And I think it wore uh, the youngest little boy, Spence, out, who's almost three years old. So the aquarium was great, but I think it had negative repercussions. I think that cost him from seeing the Mets lose to the Orioles 10-3. to three. But what really it cost him, and, and this is my biggest review of Oreo Park for all the dads and moms out there, they have the most kid-friendly stadium in all of Major League Baseball, at least that I've seen. They have a playground, okay, number one. They've got a bouncy house. They've got a – it's not a speed gun, but the kids throw the baseball. They try to get it through, like, the catcher's mitt, so it's like a target. And then there's another baseball game that I can't even describe. Like, you throw the ball, and, like, it goes in a hole, it's a double. It goes in this hole, it's a triple. Either way, all for kids. And they had a good crowd, 30,000 people. There wasn't a line for any of the stuff, which I think is always the concern. You know, Kitty Field, as great as it is, you go there 30 minutes before the game, you may be on that line and miss the start of the game. You may be on that line for 45 minutes. So, And there was a good crowd, 30,000 people there. So I don't know if people don't know about this stuff, or maybe kids didn't go on a Friday night, but Jet loved it. And here was the thing. We sat down, we watched the game. David Peterson, you know, does his thing, battling through trouble. I knew because when Buck took him out after three innings, and I get why, he hasn't pitched a lot recently. That's when you knew there's no way this lousy bullpen is going to be able to piece together five or six innings out of the pen. There's no way. But we actually went mid-game. He's like, can we take a walk? I said, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to do it for you. Brand new park, Oriole Park. Let's walk away. And it was the inning where the Orioles took the lead and broke it open. Remember the Mets tied it with Lindor, got, I think, uh, a two-run double, I think is what tied the game up at two, something of that nature. Um, it was the following inning when they scored the four runs to go up six to two. Uh, yeah, I watched it on a TV while he was climbing the playground at Oriole Park. But the other thing about Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is like Disney World, and I'll tell you why. I have never seen a stadium as clean as this. I'm not kidding you. There was not dirt on the ground. In fact, I took a video of that. I'm going to post that too. I took a video of the ground. Seriously, I took a freaking video of the ground at Oreo Park to show how clean it was. <laughs> dude, I've not, you could lick off that floor. That's how clean it was. Oh, my I, God, dude. Did you? Did I lick off? The, I, I was thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It, it is a Great, great, great state. Really is. I mean, the game sucked. It is what it is. But it was a oh, how about Lindor in the first inning? <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> I thought of that. He gets a two out double, and on the first pitch with Pete up, he tries to steal third base. I love you, Francisco. 
get your head out of your ass. Outside of that, the game sucked. David Peterson was, I don't even know how to judge David Peterson's performance. He didn't give up a run. So from that standpoint, he was good. He put a bunch of guys on base. He was able to work his way through it. And then he handed it to the bullpen. And the bullpen was okay until Phil Bickford. Phil Bickford. Phil Bickford. That's a guy that ain't going to last. We should do a game of just naming random crappy relievers the Mets have collected over the years. I'll start. Rich Rodriguez. Remember Rich Rodriguez? Anyhow, uh, game two, I got to North Carolina at like 4 or 5 o'clock. I, this was a game probably besides being on the air where it's tough to watch a game when you're on the air with Craig or now Tiki. This Saturday night game was the least watched Met game I've had all year. Again, didn't score it. I don't even know if I ever turned it on. I think I literally was game day with the MLB app. So I know Tyler McGill sucks. I did. You know what I saw? I turned it on for 30 seconds. I saw Brandon Nimmo trying to turn a single into a double down three runs in the eighth inning. I think that was the one thing I saw. And I'm like, Brandon, you have to be kidding me. Down by three runs in the eighth inning. And it it should have been a double because he hit it to left center field. Um, I thought off the bat it was going to be a double. But you cannot get thrown out at second base when you're down by three runs in the eighth inning. But they lost 7-3. And- <laughs> What else is there to say? They blow. Well, I have something to say here. So after that game, Tyler McGill was like, you know, I think I'm improving. I'm working <laughs> stuff out and all this other nonsense, right? And Which is really a big old pile of shit from Tyler McGill. I have a question for you, okay? And let's really break something down. Let's get a hard-hitting drunk analysis from, from you and I <laughs> at this moment. Tyler McGill has sucked ass in the majors with like a four and a half or, or I think his year is like 4.7 in triple a. It's actually worse. It's like seven and change. So he's been terrible. Why does he get the nod to be like, you know what? I think he's good enough to come back up to the majors. There's nobody else to bring up. And on that note, the whole thing that came out, the article about Ronnie Mauricio beating a very upset or, or not really handling not being called up well, and he's in a really bad funk at the moment, and he's not getting called up, and he's taking poorly to it. And that's the reason why he's not getting called up. I feel like this team still has a lot of things ass backwards. Yeah, so the, the thing with McGill, I, and I've heard that a lot about pitchers who get sent down, like Tyler McGill, David Peterson, Joey Lucchese, that sometimes they'll slump when they first go down because of the disappointment of not being on the major league level. McGill struggled mostly at AAA. Lucchese had some good moments. He has struggled recently, too. I think the reason why you go McGill, and certainly Lucchese is another option, is that you need to find out about them right now. You know, a guy like Mike Vassell is probably not ready. And if Mike Vassell comes up here and struggles, I don't think you're learning anything about him necessarily. I don't think it means... He's a failed prospect if he comes up probably too soon and struggles. And so I think one of the benefits here to the final two months of the season is it's like the final test for Tyler McGill. This is your final opportunity. And I know that even if McGill pitched well, we probably still wouldn't trust him. I don't think most of us would say he should be in the rotation next year. But it's it's a final test for him. And I think that's why you call him up, and I'm not against it. This is your final look. You know, this is your final opportunity. The Mauricio thing, none of us know Ronnie Mauricio. None of us knew Mark Vientos. 
when you hear rumblings that are leaked out from the Met organization that are negative about either guy, that is disconcerting. Not just about the player, but about whoever's leaking it. Like, what benefit would you have to leaking something negative about one of the guys on your team? I've never understood that. So, oh, oh, and one other thing about Mauricio and his numbers, which overall are very good. Tomas Nito sitting 313 with an 800 OPS. So I, I just caution. Just caution. Caution. If Tomas Nito is hitting 313 with an 800 OPS, we all know he is probably one of the worst hitters we've ever seen. I mean, pound for pound, one of the worst hitters we've ever seen. That you do have to look at the numbers at AAA with, you know, with a, with a, what do you say when you're like, you're not sure about something? Drunken goggles. With drunken goggles, correct. Yeah. (laughs) Look at a little bit with drunken goggles and say, is this, now that doesn't mean Mauricio shouldn't come up. He should come up. I know that there's a benefit to not having him lose his rookie status now in terms of if next year he wins rookie of the year or is a top vote getter, there's a benefit for the Mets. I think they need to see what this kid's got. And I think a part of why bringing him up right now is important is that what are you doing with him next year? Like, seriously, he's ready to graduate. He's ready to be a Major League Baseball player. What do you envision his role being? He's a bad defensive second baseman. He's a bad defensive left fielder. Okay, I believe that. But if he hits enough, he could be the DH. The Mets do not have a DH this year. They may not have a DH next year. I do not believe, Pete, the New York Mets are going to be spending money on offense players. I think all of their money, and I hope it's a lot, none of us know, it's the big question going into the offseason, is going to be spent on starting pitching. So I you see, hey, what do you have with Vientos? Is Brett Beatty a guy who should be given the third base job next year? Should Ronnie Mauricio be put into the third base mix? So sooner rather than later, I want to see him up here because I want to look at Mauricio, Vientos, Beatty, because these two months are huge and help determining where – Oh, we looking at them come spring training 2024. I am 100% agreeing to that, too, and that, that that next year it's not about the offense. It's really not. I, and that's fine. I'm actually okay with it. I think that you have enough talent in the minors and between Lindor, between Alonzo, between Nimmo, Alvarez. I'll throw McNeil there, too, and Marte, if he comes back healthy, that you can actually have a – good enough offense to be productive if you bring in the right pitchers. But here's the thing is, there's all this clamoring about Pete Alonso being traded, that this is the time to do it. And to me, that is the exact opposite of what you're supposed to yeah. do. Pete Alonso, Pete Alonso is one of the best power hitters in the league. To give me who's going to replace him, whether it's a DH or first base, who's going to replace him I don't buy 40 it. home runs a year. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. And I'm not just saying that because Steve Cohen sent me and only me a letter. I don't know if you know about this. He only sent it to me, an apology letter for how crappy this season was. (laughs) He wrote to Evan. So I don't know, Pete. I I, I don't think anyone else got this letter, right? (laughs) I guess guess not. (laughs) I know it was sent to every season ticket holder, but it made me feel very special. 
when Alex and Steve Cohen write, Dear Evan, we are so sorry for how crappy the season has been. I, I, I don't really put a lot of stock in the fact that Pete's name was mentioned as part of the core next year. I just try to use logic. And I don't see the logic in trading Pete. I think that they're going to negotiate during the offseason. I think it's certainly possible that the Mets' financial commitment to Pete may differ from what his agent wants, and that could certainly lead to free agency. So I think free agency is the likeliest outcome. Trading him is not, in my opinion. Right, let me get to some of your drunken emails. Deanne Barnaby writes, here's my 2024 wish list. Five guys, only one long-term deal. Okay. Julio Urias is the long-term deal, which I am totally with. Outside of Otani, probably including Otani, he's the best pitcher available. He's not having a good year this year. Look at his career numbers. Lefty, still relatively young. I agree with you. He's the one guy, not just in this free agency, but in the next few free agencies, that is worth investing in. Uh, Short-term deals for Kyle Hendricks, Luis Severino. And then bring back David Robertson. And the one bad I'd add is Randall Gritchick. Your thoughts? My thoughts are I would sign for that right now. If you're telling me they're going to add Urias as the big pitcher and then one year make good deals for veterans like Kyle Hendricks and Luis Severino, I'm all in on that. Adding Robertson to the bullpen along with Rayleigh and probably Adovino and certainly Edwin Diaz, uh, I'd be very happy. Samuel writes, it's stupefying and enraging that they actually, quote, shopped Pete Alonso or made it known that he was available, even if the price was exorbitant, exorbitant, exorbitant. At some point, what is the point? Pete is young, he's homegrown, he's one of the best sluggers in the game. Cohen will lose the battle if he trades him, case closed. I don't believe there's any serious interest in trading. I don't. I throw it out. Clayton writes, guys, there's no better evidence of why Buck can't return his manager next year than on Friday. Oh, by the way, he got a tribute on Friday. Uh, it was his first game managing back at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Got a very nice standing ovation from the Orioles fans. Right now, I'm expecting them to win many games. I'm not expecting them to win many games. I get that the roster, especially the pitching, is depleted. I get it. But the things I do want to see from this team are effort and smart baseball. Lindor gets thrown out at third to end the top of the first with two outs, and your cleanup hitter is up in the first inning. WTF. And then there's Marte. Watching him dog it in right field was completely unacceptable. He should have been yanked from the game immediately to make a statement. I know that doesn't happen in today's game, but when it's so blatantly obvious, it should. I'd rather see DJ Stewart out there missing fly balls, making himself look like an ass. These guys need to be held accountable by the manager. I think Buck returning right now is about, I'd say it's 70-30 no, honestly. That's where I'm at on that. Zach Rosen writes, I just wanted to know your thoughts on whether Daniel Vogelbach should switch from Major League Baseball to Major League Eating. Honestly, I think he's only on the team to act as a dietitian to the young guys. After the game, I hear his takes. I hear he takes first digs post-game meal sessions, leaving little for the baby Mets. Alvarez especially looks up to Vogelbach. Whenever Vogelback eats, Alvarez knows to eat the opposite. It seems like the only plate Vogelback is hitting is the one. I don't know if this is actually funny or if I'm just laughing. Well, listen, let me just say something about Vogelback that's not so insulting right now to him and his character. 
whatever. He clearly is some sort of a of a locker room favorite, kind of like an Eduardo Escobar. Somebody there is clamoring for him to be around. But realistically, Vogelback has not done anything at all this season. Yet somehow he's lasted the longest. I mean, he's played more or been on the team more active than Pete Alonso has. Yeah. Right? That's that that is an incredible incredible he's gonna last the entire 23, 2023 season. That is amazing to think about that. It kind of is. Uh Jimmy has three drunk pod questions. All right. I like this. If you could keep only Pete or Francisco Alvarez, who do you keep? Well, why do I gotta pick between the two of them? I'd I mean what I gotta only pick one of them? Can, can I can I just say that can I hold oh, let, let me just say something real yeah. quick to who who sent the email? Jimmy. Jimmy, you're a dick. What type of nonsense is this? We're drunk. <laughs> you're asking these type of questions? <laughs> asking me, who's my favorite son? I mean, why, why would you... <laughs> uh, he, he answered it, though. I'd keep Alvarez. My wish list is a core of Pete Lindor, Nimmo, and Alvarez. But witnessing Evan's reaction to Pete walking free agency would almost be worth it. No, no, it's, it's not worth it. Trust me. Me screaming and yelling like a lunatic is not worth it. Uh, his second question was, you growing up Mets fans and now having access to players and interviews, what has been the most surreal player interaction you've had? Uh, Bob Gibson, Jim Brown would probably be the two. And I know that's not Mets related. That's just legend. And those are guys who played before I was even around. But just heard so many stories about both guys, the two of the toughest, greatest players of all time. So I got to meet both of them. And then finally, I figured this is the Rico to ask on. Did you ever have a drink at the Irish pub in Baldwin? My father owned it from the mid-70s to 2015. How about that? Uh, no, never drank in Baldwin. He also hopes that we release Rico Bronia merchandise. <laughs> yeah, it's called uh, Baseball Cards. You can go buy the baseball cards of Rico Bronia whenever you, wherever you want. I'm sure they're available. <laughs> Ian Nolan writes if Met fans want to feel better about Beatty's defense they should watch Vientos play third for a game Yeesh. They're, they're both not good but Mark Vientos looks hopeless I gotta tell you he does he, does. he looks completely hopeless oh man there's a lot of emails I'm sorry I've got a headache now I think I'm already starting to feel the hangover well it's almost midnight I, so, that's expected. Sunday night, I told Pete, I said, we got to do it after 11. I got to make sure everybody's sleeping. But we will do a sober Rico after the Cubs series. Uh, I probably, I, honestly, I think this weekend, it's the weekend. The vacation is new. The Orioles. I think I can see myself scoring all three games of the Med Cup series. I really can. You know, after a full day at the beach, I can see. You know, 8, 9 o'clock at night, starting the game on DVR. Okay, little Mets Cubbies. I can see that. So we'll probably give you a more intricate breakdown of the Met Cub series. But they've got a 10-game homestand coming up. These three against Chicago, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They've got four against Atlanta with a doubleheader on Saturday. And then three games against Pittsburgh. So real quick, let's make a prediction on the 10-game homestand. I'm going to shock the world and say 5-5. Five and five. I think they're actually going to win a couple of games on this stand. I'm going to go five and five for this ten game home stand. Pete, go ahead. You said it's Cubs, Braves, and Pirates. Yep. 
Yeah, they're going like two and two and eight. <laughs> two and eight. I mean, the I Cubs. The Cubs beat the. Head. The Cubs beat the piss out of them every time they see them. I know. I think they're going to win. They're going to win the Cup series. Yeah, they're going to win two against the Cubs, two against the Pirates, and one game against Atlanta. And somehow they're going to go five and five. That's my prediction. But we do appreciate you listening. Hopefully, it sounds okay. I'm on a deck with the beautiful ocean breeze. So hopefully you enjoyed it. You can email the pod anytime. We'll be checking even on vacay. B at gmail.com. B at gmail.com. I'm going to go drink a lot of water and try to go to sleep. Bye, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronio podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>